Stories don't have a theme. Stories are a theme. Stories are the manifestation of the theme. Welcome to You Are a Storyteller with Brian McDonald and Jesse Bryan. This program is produced in Seattle, Washington by Belief Agency. On this week's episode, we discuss how to build a story from the inside out. Whether it's the film or the play or the story, how do you find that that beginning point? Like, what's at the middle of this thing, right? And I'm holding right here. I got, I got two books. A lot of people consider these a couple of the best books ever made on filmmaking. Sure, right. One is Kazan on directing, and the other is Making Movies by Sidney Sidney Lumet. And I'm going to just read an expert from Kazan um, to try to see what he was after and how he handled the problem of figuring out. Um, really, what is this play about, mm-hmm. right? Because this is during his really early days. And so this is a clip. And he says, um, his working method uh, remained the same throughout his career. Once he discovered what a play meant for himself, once he found the clue to self-identification with the theme and the characters or determined their resemblance to people he knew, he decided upon the style of presentation. So he's trying to figure out the order, right? right. In what order do I go as a director? How to cast and a direct and what um, instructions he would give to the set designer and costumer. He studied the stage and film script to find the single encompassing motive that empowers the work, its core sediment. He called this a spine. So when, when Kazan was trying to figure out, you know, I mean, on the waterfront, I mean, the amount of things this guy did before he started working, he first had to figure that out before he could move forward. Right. Right. He called it a spine. Fast forward to Sidney Lament. Sidney Lament wasn't using the term spine. He was using a different term to figure out how to solve the same problem. Because mm-hmm. both of them are just trying to solve problems. Right. Here's how Lament put it. He said, the question, what is this movie about, will be asked over and over again throughout the book. For now, suffice it to say that the theme, the what of the movie is going to determine the style, the how of the movie. The theme will decide the specifics of every selection made. Think about that. Every selection made in all the following chapters. I work from the inside out, right? Um, He's not guessing, right? right? This is the foundational thing. Um, What the movie is about will be determined, uh, will determine how it will be cast, how it will look, how it will be edited, how it will be musically scored, how it will be mixed how the titles will look. Mm -hmm. Um, And with a good studio, how it will be released. What it's about will determine how it's made. Mm -hmm. Soup to nuts how it's made. Yeah. Not just the script, the title sequence. Right. And so so what he's calling it, so Lament called it a theme. Before that, Kazan called it a spine. Right. And I'd read these books before and... Uh, to be honest with you, I didn't remember those parts. Mm-hmm. They never really stuck with me. But then, uh, obviously, when I got to your stuff and I was reading an Invisible Ink, you you used a different term um, than what they used, mm-hmm. and it made more sense to me. You called it an armature. Can you tell me about where, how you kind of got there, and what does armature actually mean? Um, well, I struggled. Um, it's it's weird to say struggled with. I don't know if I struggled with it. Um, Theme is a very hard thing to learn when you're learning because people tell you that a, a story has to have a theme, right? And sometimes people tell you that you can have many themes, which I don't think is right. But 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 they tell you you got to have a theme in your story, and so you you try to fit theme into your story. And I was so influenced by Rod Serling and The Twilight Zone, um, and one of the reasons is that it's very clear what each episode is trying to say. 
right? So a lot of people just think about the twist ending part of the Twilight Zone, but I was very interested in in everything that led to that ending. Like, how did that surprise me? How it was, you know, how, what told me that it was going there? And, and it always had a point. So what was the point of this piece? And so I internalized that because I was so young watching the Twilight Zone. That, and then later people told me I had a knack for theme, which I didn't know that I had. Hmm. Um, I just thought that's the way you write stories, right? But other people didn't do it. And what I, what I realized is that stories don't have a theme. Stories are a theme. Stories are the manifestation of the theme. Gotcha. They express the theme. That's all they exist for. Whereas a theme could be almost tacked on to it. Right. 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 So So it's a story about a family. I guess the theme could be X. Right. You're saying based on the armature, the family has to be. Right. Right. And so uh, it's just like uh, Lumet said, I I was working from the inside out. Uh, In fact, somebody told me once about one of my stories. They were like, oh, you know, I know you know all these rules and everything, but you're not applying them. And I thought. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's not be- it's not that I'm saying that what I was doing was working or not working. I don't know how to write anything unless I'm going from the theme out. Hmm. Like, I can't just sit there and type things that happen. I don't know how people do that. I can't do that. I wouldn't know what to write if I wasn't trying to express that theme. So, and it's actually the most logical thing in the world. You're saying you have to know what you're trying to say before you start writing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but I think yeah. that's a dyslexic thing. Right. When words are the enemy, right, like they are a barrier to me communicating my ideas. Right. Mm. When I'm young and learning how to write and and it's hard to spell and where the commas go and all that stuff. Um, I, I learned how to not write anything unless it was right, mm. because I didn't want to have to go back and reread it, and fix it and whatever. So I, my drafts sort of happen in my head. I don't really have drafts on paper very often. Um, and even if I do there, it's minor changes and most of it has to do with the dyslexia stuff. This mm. word belongs here and not there. So you're actually sense. working out in your head before you start writing. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, it's, it's so natural that I don't know, yeah, you know, how other people do it. Or- I don't know how other people do it, but I, I was writing with a friend and he told me that I would just stare at the computer for a long time and then write the scene and it would be right. Huh. Um, where he would write a bunch of stuff and then we'd have to pare it down, which is the way most people work, but I can't work that way. I don't know how. How, do that. How, but how'd you find that word? Like yeah. I've heard spine. Yeah. I've heard the word spine. I've heard the word theme, of course. Right. I'd never heard armature. Right. Um, well, um, it's a strange thing to, I don't, I, I think it's mine. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think it comes from somebody else, but maybe somebody else had the, the idea, but I can tell you it came from me very organically because I was working in creature shops in uh when i lived in los angeles i was working at creature shops and this is before cgi so everything had to be built and by creature shops you mean like if you're watching a movie and the swamp monster comes out yeah somebody builds that somebody had to build it right so we were working on uh what did i work on return of the living dead part two and uh, uh oh i can't even remember what i worked night of the creeps i worked on i worked on a bunch of stuff that like they're the people who know them are like whoa you worked on that <laughs> but like nobody knows them. yeah so but uh but i worked on a lot of that kind of stuff and and uh, I got to see these sculptors um, make these little maquettes, little versions of whatever the monster, the zombie, or whatever it was we were doing. And they're beautiful sculptures. These guys were really good. And um, but they had to make a 
an armature, a skeleton first. And then er the clay got built around that skeleton. And uh, what I was told, what I was taught at that time, it's like, well, we have to do that because I was young. I was 21 or something. And they, I was like, why are you doing that? And they were like, well, because the clay will collapse after a while. The clay will, you know, it can't support itself. It'll, I'm like, oh, okay. And then later when I was. Um, Just like I, a human body. Yeah. You take the, uh, the, take the skeleton, skeleton out. Right. Yeah. And so when I was trying to come up with a way to explain um, the point of a story, um, I thought back on that, what that lesson about the clay and the sculpture and the armature there. So that's, and I thought, well, that's the same function. It serves the same function. Everything hangs off the armature. It holds everything together. Everything's built around that armature. So it was, um, it was a combination of being a story teller writer and having worked in creature shops yeah and seen that, that. you picked the, that yeah. word yeah and so when you're looking at it um just like i guess the human body most people it's funny because like i was i read da vinci's um biography and he said he would do he would actually figure out the bone structure yeah and then add layers and layers right um and it's funny he was thinking in the same way first yeah. i got to figure out what's going on inside and then i manifest it comes out so yeah. he was also dyslexic <laughs> yeah, but it makes sense. You're right. figuring out what's at the core of this thing. It's like before we build the house, what's the foundation right. got to look like? Um, whereas, you know, I think it's easy. A lot of people think like, oh, you just sit down, and you write, and eventually you find it. And, and you know, I guess right. some people can work like that. But it's a difficult way to work, though. Yeah, it's it's not that it's a difficult way to work. It's it's more fun in a lot of ways because you're just playing, right? But here's the way I, I like to think of it. If you think of it like sculpture, if you take this this idea of sculpture. There are two kinds of sculpture, right? You can do additive sculpture, sculpture, which is you start with the center, you start with a skeleton, and you add onto it, right? Or you can do reductive sculpture. You can have a block of marble or something and carve things away, right? You can get to the same place. But the problem is, if you're writing that way, you have to create the marble too, mm -hmm. right? And what happens is, um, like Michelangelo said, you know, he, I, I took away everything that wasn't David, right? When mm -hmm. he, right? But the problem is this. People get attached to things, right? So they get attached to a scene. Um, they get attached to a character. They get attached to a, a phrase. And so when they have to pare things down, they don't want to get rid of these things they love. Yeah. Right? That they've created, that they worked hard on, that they, you know, that were maybe inspired. Oh, I can't believe I came up with that scene. But it yeah. may not fit anymore right. into what you're trying to say. But people will try to make it fit. Yeah. And so what, in the end, they haven't carved away everything that's not david they they've instead of david they've made quasimodo mm -hmm. because they have all of these things it doesn't they're attached need. to and they're trying to justify yeah. why it has to stay in the story yeah so it's a, it's a dangerous way to work unless you're ruthless about cutting which is hard to do yeah for, for can you give me an example of an armature like of something that most people would have seen because it feel, still feels kind of abstract like you're like okay so it's a skeleton what right. is a skeleton right um it's well it's it's well okay so if you go with the idea that um, stories have at their core, I believe, survival information, right? And that's a confusing thing for people because they usually think of survival as physical, but it can be emotional or spiritual or cultural, right? There are all kinds of survival, but at, at the story's core, is there, there's going to be survival information. And the armature, the way I talk about it, is that sentence, right? That The sentence that you can prove through your story or disprove through your story right so um i'm trying to think of a uh an armature from a story that we know oh well okay the wizard of oz right so 
The Wizard of Oz, the armature is not, there's no place like home, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to look at what the story <laughs> proves. The story doesn't necessarily prove there's no place like home, but what the story does prove is that you may already have what you're looking for, mm-hmm. which is why the Scarecrow already has a brain, right? And you see him use his brain throughout the piece, uh, is why the Tin Man already has a heart and you see him crying and things throughout the piece and that the lion already has courage and you see him being courageous even though he's scared throughout the piece and so what the piece proves is that you may already have what you're looking for Hmm. dorothy already had what she was looking for when she was at home in kansas that's why she says there's no that's the way she expresses Hmm. the armature but really what she's saying is oh you may already have what you're looking for and all those characters were at home yeah. In the beginning. Right. right. She yeah. had all those people. To, mm-hmm. She had all those people. She had she had everything that she had in Oz, she had at home. Yeah. She had Professor Marvel, the fake wizard. She had the witch. She had the three friends. She had all of the same stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you, you use the word prove a couple times there, which uh-huh. which kind of goes back to the Hitchcock stuff you talked about, proposal, argument, conclusion, act right. one, act two, act three. And so the conclusion now is, okay, does this armature, does this survival information of you already have what you need? Do you now believe that, right? Right. Or, or some of the other ones you've talked about is, right. you know, get busy living, get busy dying. Right. Some of those types of other films where you're like, okay, well, this is what I'm trying to say. Right. How do I dramatize this this armature, this survival information? Right. Well, if it's get busy living, get busy dying, you were like, I got to put him in hell. Right. Which is Shawshank Prison. Right. And so then, but I think that kind of goes back to why the story comes out of that, mm-hmm. out of that center right as opposed to the other way around does that make sense like like when you sit down and you're like what i'm trying to say the survival information the armature is get busy living get busy dying right i need a pretty extreme stakes right right well you need the stakes to be life and death mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right, exactly right, right yeah right so yeah so if you're gonna say to somebody you get you, you have to choose right and so the way that that's done in the shawshank redemption is that you have a character who always chooses living, right? He chooses living when they put him in solitary confinement, right? They can't get him down, right? He has this sort of almost magical um, optimism in the face of horrible things, like horrible things. It's not like everything goes well for him in Shawshank Prison. Yeah. He's not without problems. He just chooses to see the glass as half, uh, or completely full, often, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, He's uh, so that's the way it's proven, like, and, and it and it's contagious. The other the other prisoners get that, right? Andy Dufresne is really a character who brings beauty to a place of ugliness, and um, it's contagious. Yeah, you know, and you can see the clone characters showing what happens if you don't, right? Right. When you decide to stop doing that, right? 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 Like, uh, well, the two, the, the most amazing bit, some of the most amazing writing is Brooks, the old man. Mm-hmm getting out of prison and not being able to adjust right and so you see he's been in prison a long time and you see him get out you see him get this crappy job as a uh, bag boy you know and you see his crappy apartment and you see his life and um he ends up not coping right he, he ends up hanging himself right brooks was here he carves on the yeah so beam good. right like, yeah. and hangs himself What's great is that when Morgan Freeman's character, Red, gets out, they they mirror it so well. He has the same job, the same the same apartment, the same yeah. job, right? Because they're showing you by direct comparison 
they get busy dying yeah and they get busy living so good it's really good yeah yeah and even the way they built the inside of that apartment with those slats so it looks like a prison still yeah you know you're just like my god but but remember going back to what lament talks about how once i find the center of this thing get busy living get busy dying everything i do every decision i make as a filmmaker is based on that right so so when you're talking about the armature and like how do you how do you know you've got the armature right like so if i said like uh what's the if you said jesse what's the armature of your film and i was like love right is that an armature no why because uh because you can't prove it okay you can't prove love right you you can say uh love is difficult you can say love is necessary um but you can't say love there's nothing you're saying nothing yeah right Right? yeah yeah so um so people will think that oh it's love oh it's revenge or it's you know or they'll say this story has many themes it's got love and revenge and friendship Th- none of those things are themes those are things that happen or yeah. that are in there but it's um th- they're not they're not themes so so going off of that because i've heard the same thing it was like well the theme is like you know vengeance yeah and you're like well, okay yeah what it what do you, what is that? How do you make decisions? Because I mean, really, when we're coming back to like, well, laments kind of ringing the bell of, of like, once I know this, I know what to do. Right. Once I know what I'm trying to say, right? right. I know I know what the decisions. I think in Dog Day Afternoon, that's when he talked about how he picked the film stock mm-hmm. to match like newsreel, right? Because he was worried about you know people like laughing him out of the building because right. of the subject matter. And he's like, but if I make it look like a newsreel, yeah, right. Because this whole thing was, you know, we have more in common with the ones we call freaks than we think we do or something like that. You know, that's how he processed and made decisions. And so he's like, okay, now based on that, how do I make decisions? Everything from film stock to who I cast to costumes and on and on. When it comes to armature, like, let's say, let's take an easy one that you've talked about before. Like, uh, some things are more important than money. Okay. Right? Okay. Well, naturally... When you go, great, I sit down and write that. What Just based on that, look at how much farther and how much easier it is to write. Yeah. What are some things you know based on that armature? You're going to have to have as a writer. You're going to have to have a character who thinks otherwise. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Right? You know that already. Yeah. Right? Um, you're either going to... Uh, now, characters, usually uh, the protagonist is a character of change, but they don't have to be, but they usually are. So you're, you, you probably are going to take that character from... Um, thinking that money is the most important thing to understanding that money is not the most important thing. Because mm-hmm. you prove it. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's probably the way that's going to go down. Um, so you know that already. So you know that something's going to have to force that character to see differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, what would do that? Um, I guess he could lose all his money. That's one way it could happen. Right? He could... Um, his money could alienate him from people he loves, mm. right? Um, there are lots of things you could yeah. do, uh, but you know that you have to to force that. You know, characters don't want to change. They're just, well, they're just people, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. And they don't want to change, so you have to force them to change. You have to um, squeeze them, squeeze that lump of coal into a diamond. It has to be a lot of heat and a lot of pressure yeah. to do it. So that's the way you have to do it. So you just have to go. You, if you take that character, like talk about it, Invisible Ink, and put them in the worst place they want to be, put them in their personal hell. Where's yeah. the last place that guy wants to be? Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And if you can, if you know that, and you usually do, if you're starting with a character that needs to know, for instance, that some things are more important than money. 
um, this is probably a person with money then. Yeah. Right? It could be. Yeah. It could be a person without money who tries to attain it, too. Yeah. There's that. But let's say we start with a person who has money. Well, then you're going to want to take that money away. Yeah. Right? But even just think about that. In in a minute, once you figure out your armature, yeah. look how much further you are along yeah. by starting in the center and going out. Yeah. Then starting out here and going... Uh, there's a person, there's a person, <laughs> right. and this person does something. <laughs> right. And uh, it's interesting. He does something interesting. What could he do that's interesting? You, 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 right. It's so big. It, there's no sandbox. And most great artists, you know, you, they do better when, we were just talking about the term terrace guys. Like, yeah. most great artists, look at the stuff those people put out. Yeah. And their restrictions were so limited. Or, or it, you've it, talked about uh, Mary Tyler Moore and different, all these different yeah. shows that had rules. Yeah. And the, the great art that came out of there, once you make that sandbox of, well, I know that what I'm trying to say is some things are more important than money. Yeah. All of a sudden, the ideas come faster. Right. Right. Yeah, they do. Well, you know, like Andy Griffith, the Andy Griffith show, one of my favorite shows, right? Andy Griffith was a Christian, very serious about being a Christian. And he um, said, uh, as, as much as possible, I want my stories to have a Bible lesson in them. Now, it's not overt, yeah. Right. You don't have to know that. I watched the show for years without knowing that. I've, I never knew that until you told me. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't matter in that way. Yeah. But what it does is it says, oh, so everyone. First of all, he said lesson. Right. Mm-hmm. So everyone is teaching something, and so that means it automatically has an armature. Mm-hmm. Right. So that show lasts and lasts and lasts because yeah. at its core, there's always an armature. They had something to say. Yeah. It's always on a waste of your time. Right. Hey, I watched the half an hour and, you know, man, I, I got to go back and talk to my kid again. I think it was a little too harsh with him or wh- yeah, whatever. Whatever you know, it is. Yeah. There was something of value in there, whether you n- could identify it or not, you could feel it. Right. It doesn't matter. Right. Rod Serling didn't have that. Rod Serling wasn't a Christian. Right. Rod yeah. Serling, but he didn't. He didn't. Um, he didn't. He knew to say something that mattered. Yeah. Right. It doesn't doesn't have to be a Bible lesson. Could yeah. be whatever. But yeah. he they those both those people understood they had to have some information for people to take away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that used to be common knowledge. And now it's thought of as something cheap or, hmm. you know, oh, you can't tell people how to live or you can't, you know, it's like, what? but, you know, if you live long enough, you don't have to live very long to learn a lesson about how life works. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, of course, you have wisdom to impart. And yeah. it's ridiculous to think that people don't. Like, yeah. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Of course, people have wisdom to impart. And and, you know, and it used to be, again, it, this, all this stuff starts with like survival, but also love. Mm-hmm. Like grandma and grandpa will sit around, you know, the campfire and be like, you know, you keep talking about your job and how much you're working, but you know, some things are more important than money. Let me tell you, when I was your age, I was doing the same thing and I missed watching your dad grow up. Right. And I'll tell you what, now I know, like, yeah. you know, don't make the same mistake. They were not saying it to be preachy or anything like that no. they're telling the story about a, hey i made the same mistake and yeah. i didn't go to your your dad's football games or whatever yeah and and so that's this is a really natural thing to do yeah is because you're doing it because like hey d- don't go through the same pain i did yeah people um, do it all the time in real life yeah see in real life it makes a lot of sense because it happens constantly yeah right but then you sit down and write a script and you go i can't why well, i mean rod serling had something to say and i think that's one of the reasons this stuff is it seems like even now more than ever like people still talk about it oh yeah and think about how many writers back then their body of work just doesn't hold up you go back and watch his stuff and it's crazy yeah but he knew what he was trying to say yeah and then he dramatized it yeah and by the end you go dang that really stuck with me yeah right yeah he, he never did you ever hear him talk about how he structured stuff Rod Serling? 
Um, Because all of his stuff is so like, bam, 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 bam. Yeah. I have never read anything about his, how he structured. Paddy Chevsky wrote a lot about how he structured things and talked about, well, not a lot, but he did write enough about it. Um, But some of those guys didn't really write about it. A lot of, um, it's interesting because a lot of people of a certain generation knew this stuff through osmosis or through hearing good stories or knowing good stories or something. Um, and they thought they were working from their instincts. And then later film schools came along and books came along to tell you how to do yeah. it. I mean, there've always been some books, but not a lot of them. Yeah. And now there's plenty and, and uh, in a way that's good in a way that's bad. But um, so they sometimes had no idea how they did what they did, you know? Yeah. Um, they just did it. And, and then later when books showed up that told people how to do it, they didn't like those books because it's like, well, you just feel it out. But plenty of bad people feel it out too, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know what sure. I mean? So it's like not everybody can play by ear. But right? when you watch th- – yeah, that's a good way of saying it. But when you watch their stuff, it's so direct. Yeah. And down the line, and it's satisfying at the end. I think it's because they, they're not ashamed to do that. People often say that, oh, it seems like uh, animated things for kids seem to have better stories, right? Well, because they're not afraid to tell the, be clear and to tell the yeah. story to kids, yeah. right? It's when it's like adults, well, I got to sound smart. I got to yeah. be smart. I got to, you know, I, again, I say it all the time, but it's weird to me that we will um, praise uh, a storyteller whose work is confusing, hard to follow, hard to understand, and we will just give them, well, like, well, they're just very smart. Right. Yeah. Instead of saying they don't know the first thing about communicating with their audience, which is the way I take it. Right. And we'll take somebody who's really good at communicating with an audience and say, well, it's so pedestrian. It's so it's weird. Hmm. It's not easy to communicate with an audience. No, but it is easy to confuse an audience. So w- what we're saying is it's all reversed. It's weird. Yeah. Anybody can confuse an audience. Yeah. Anyone. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wears no clothes type stuff. Yeah. When when you're. When you're starting with the armature, can you give me an examples of how that helps you make decisions? Like the fact that he said, you know, title sequence, mm-hmm. you know, or or mm-hmm. like any of these costumes, mm-hmm. right? Some things are more important than money. Like, okay, well, how would that affect some of your decisions, not just as a writer, but as a director? Right. Well, okay. So if we're saying some things are more important than money, uh, and let's say if we do the thing where the guy has money and loses it. Yeah. Right? Again, you could do the reverse, but let's just do that one. So if you're doing that one, well, how do you show money? Right. You, you can show actual money. Right. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, oh, money. How about he has several Picassos mm. in his apartment? That's money. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, what kind of furniture should this person have? Like, we have to say money is everything to this person. Yeah. So the best of everything. And that's going to have to do with the costumes then, right? Oh, this is the best of everything, right? And maybe when the guy goes to pick out a tie, he opens his closet and it's the tie closet, right? And there's <laughs> yeah, just yeah. ties, All you know, ties. right? Yeah. Um, and it's got like one of those things you push and it moves like at the <laughs> yeah. dry cleaners. Yeah. And, you there's know what I mean? so many. Yeah. He's got so many ties, right? And maybe they're color coded so they gradate. And it's like, yeah. wow, that guy's got a lot of ties, yeah. right? Um, very expensive, you know, um, um, you know, silk, you know, anything that says money. Mm-hmm. And everything should do that. Every, if this guy thinks money is everything, then everything should do that. 
everything should tell you you know so it's it tells you that you don't have anybody drinking out of a plastic right right it's a goblet or whatever. Yeah, yeah yeah it's not this right yeah. um and that it's not uh he doesn't drink wine that you just get at the grocery store you know he you know what i mean yeah it's from his vineyard yeah or whatever right <laughs> yeah. um whatever you have to do right uh yes he could get in his own fancy car if you want but if you want to say really wealthy then he doesn't drive his car right right yeah um things like that all those so you're making all those decisions right you're not deciding oh i want to have a guy with a fancy car or i want that guy to have it wouldn't it be cool if he had a bunch of ties or, yeah you're not that's not the way you make decisions you're 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 i always say that when you're doing it right you really feel like you're making discoveries versus making decisions help me understand what you mean by discoveries well when you're making decisions it's more like well let's see what else could happen what could happen when you're making discoveries you're you're like well what what needs to happen what i need to show that he has money how do i show that i need to show that he thinks money is very important how do i show that right and one way to do that for instance might be um you see a guy with all this money but maybe when it comes to tipping somebody it's a coin right <laughs> right yeah, contrast right yeah, yeah yeah right um and so and so you go oh that's a great way to show how he is with money right that's a discovery versus a decision now you may make a decision about which way if you've got several ways to illustrate an idea yeah but um but there's a kind of there's a sense of discovery when you're doing it right i think and uh it becomes more more difficult to take credit for that those things you don't feel like you did anything mm. you feel like you found it yeah yeah but you had a you had a place you had the compass to help you find it yeah when you when you talk about that that reminds me of um when you've talked about the idea of being a slave to your story mm -hmm. where i th i think if you don't have well i can just take from before i understood armature i would make a lot of decisions based on things i liked Right. Like, oh, you know, I've always liked anamorphic lens or like, hey, you know, I always liked how this looked or I like these types of costumes or symmetry in my, it, it was just based on vibe, I think, yeah. or, or personal preference, but it had nothing to do with the story mm -hmm. as opposed to going, no, 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 this is it. This text, this is what I'm trying to say. Right. In light of that, whether I like the color palette or <laughs> right. the lenses, right. seems like it doesn't matter as much. So, but you use such strong words, the slave to the story. Like, help me understand where that's... Well, it's because it it's bigger than you, right? You're serving something bigger than you if you're a storyteller. And so... Um, it's not about you and so when it's not about you um if the story if you're if you're telling the story about somebody who learns that some things are more important than money then you don't get to dictate you don't get to say yeah but i like um i like pajamas with holes in them right they're comfortable and i like them you don't get to do that because now you're diluting what you're trying to say yeah and right. you're like, no, this guy, it's, some things are more important than money. Why would he have holes in his pajamas? Right. Right. You know, oh, but maybe, you know, I like drive throughs I like to go to Jack in the Box in the middle of the night or whatever. It's like, yeah, but this guy doesn't. <laughs> yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. This guy doesn't. So um, that's what I mean by, by serving your story. You have to do what the story needs. What does mm -hmm. it need? You have to look at your story and, and you have to listen to it and it'll tell you what it needs if mm -hmm. you listen. Yeah. You know? Uh, but um, 
a lot of people don't do that. It is pre- personal preference. But I like this, but I like that, but yeah. I like monsters or whatever it is they like. And they just try to throw it in there without um, um, adhering to the story or serving the story. When we talk about going off of that, how do you reconcile that with the idea of like your individual voice? Um, yeah. You know, because that's something I would, you know, well, you know, as, a, as an artist, whether it's stand up, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, well, Ro- when Rodney found his voice, that's when he became a great stand up. Or right. when Seinfeld found his voice, or, you know, when, when right. this director found their voice, how do you reconcile being a slave to the story and also that idea of like having, I don't know, what'd you call that? What would you call that style? And well, but style's not a style. I have a friend who's an illustrator, and he told me once: people will often. It's a younger younger people are very obsessed with style, so they're like, "Oh, I like that style. I like his style. I like that style." Because they can't see anything else yet, right? They yeah. can't see below the style yet, and and so that's what they focus on. Um, none of the thought process that brought a person to that style or whatever, right? They can only they can only think in terms of what's on the surface. But I have this friend who's an illustrator, and people have often said, oh, I like your style. And he said to me, Brian, I have no idea what my style is. I can't see it. And he goes, when I try to do it, I can't do it. Like, I try to do my style. I can't draw anymore. So his style comes completely out of how he sees and interprets the world, right? So all those examples I gave about uh, you have the rich guy, you know, uh, you got to show he's rich. Now, those are just my solutions to that problem. Somebody else might have different solutions and they might work just as well, but different solutions to that problem. So right. they don't have the the Picasso's on the wall, but they do some other thing. Yeah. yeah. Right. Um, He's a car collector, whatever. whatever. They solved it in their yeah. mind. Yeah. And that's the way everything is going to get solved. Right. So so they may want a close up where I would want a long shot, but they may be coming at it from the same trying to solve the same problem. Right. Right. Um, and so the, you, the style is just filtered through, it's just how you solve problems, how you personally yeah. solve a given problem. That's the only, that's where the style is going to come from. Yeah. Um, you, you don't have to worry about the style. It'll take care of itself. And, and I think that's because it's driven, it's motivated. Right. Because like, when you talk about Lament, like I can look at a Lament movie and know he did it, but the verdict looks really different stylistically than 12 Angry Men. Right. Or than, you know, Dog Day Afternoon or something. And I think that that's the mark of a great director. Yeah. Y- you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like the apartment looks different than a lot of Billy. Well, I don't, you, yeah. know, you know what I'm saying? Like the opening shots with like the desks going on right. forever. That looks really different than some like it hot. Or, right. I don't know. But Billy Wilder said something really interesting. He was really proud of the way he shot his movies. And he, he used to say, there's not a phony shot in any of my movies. And what he meant was, I'm serving my story every time. Hmm. Right? Because let's say, let's take the apartment. So you've got, uh, <clears throat> you've got Jack Lemmon working in an office. And you've got all these identical desks, like going back into infinity. And he's just one of these people. So good. Right? Yeah. But what he wants as a character is to stand out. What he wants is to rise above. Yeah. He doesn't want to be one of these nameless, faceless workers. Right? So that's that's how that decision gets made. Right? If he's in an office all by himself, well, then you visually haven't helped to tell that story that he wants to break away from this group. Yeah. Right? Um. Right now, he's just a worker, just like everybody else, right? Oh, he wants to move out of that. Okay, well, that's now that decision is being made not by Billy Wilder, but by the story. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's following the story. Right. Now somebody else might solve that problem a different way. Yeah, but that, that's in, in Billy's brain, that yeah. made sense. Yeah. And if you actually dissect that movie, it's kind of a disgusting how good his decisions are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like the key stuff. You're like, oh my God. How well, did you- I know. The stuff yeah. with the key, the stuff yeah. with the mirror, the stuff. Yeah. But there's also, uh, you know, when, um, um, you know, Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, Jack Lemon can't get into his apartment because, you know, he, he lends it out to all these executives. Um, and so he's stuck out in the cold. There's a really great uh, scene of him in Central Park sitting on a bench all by himself in the middle of the night because one of these executives says, hey, I got this got this girl. I want to go to your, you know. Yeah. So so he's sitting out and he's freezing in the, and, and there's a nice long shot uh, looking down the benches. And uh, of course, they're empty. So it makes him more alone. Mm-hmm. A shot, a medium shot of him on a bench. Yeah. He's not alone. You have to see all the people who aren't there. Yeah. Right. <laughs> to yeah. see him alone. But you can't make that decision if you don't know what you're trying to say. Yeah. And what would you say the armature of the apartment is? Uh, I would say the armature is um, don't prostitute yourself. Hmm. Both Shirley MacLaine. Yeah. Right. Her character, Miss uh, uh, Lip, Lip, Kublik. Um, yeah. Kub- yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I forget her name now. <laughs> I know it when I'm not. Uh, I'm not on a podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, Shirley MacLaine's character and he are both prostituting themselves. Yeah. Right? Um, as a matter of fact, there's a really great scene where um, uh, Shirley MacLaine has just had uh, this this tryst with her with her boss, who she's having an affair with, uh, in Jack Lemon's apartment. And uh, he's got to go home. This guy has got to go home to his wife. And uh, he goes, uh, you know, I, I've been busy and I haven't had time to uh, uh, get you anything. And he pulls out some money and he gives it to her. And he goes, you know, you get yourself something nice, you mm-hmm. know, or uh, I hear there there's a sale at Bergdorf's or whatever it is. Yeah. And he gives her the money and she starts to take off her coat. And he says, what are you doing? I have to go. She goes, well, I just thought as long as it's paid for. Right. Because she's prostituting herself mm-hmm. and she's becoming aware that that's what she's doing. Yeah. Right. So. And and uh, and that's how we knew how to write that. Right, right. <laughs> you know, you know it, it wasn't guessing. Yeah, and he wasn't trying to come up with clever lines. Yeah, right? to look smart or like you're saying the camera movements. You don't notice his stuff. No. And there's that like tracking shot when she's running at the end. Yeah. But the, you don't even think about it as like a fancy anything. No. Because it's all motivated. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's stupid. It's so good. But, but I'm just saying, like, once you know. Who you are, you know what to do. Like, once you know what you're trying to say, in light of that, what is the best way to dramatize this and bring this to life? Yeah. If you don't have an armature, what happens? Um, then you have a bunch of random things, hmm. right? And most of the time, people are writing, if they're writing a movie or whatever they're writing, um, they're trying to string enough interesting things together, right? <laughs> they think if they have a bunch of good scenes... Right. Or a bunch of good characters uh, or a bunch of good ideas or a compelling enough world that they have a story. Yeah. And those are the pearls. You've referred to those as pearls before. Can you explain what you mean by that? Yeah. Um, and I, I wish I could. Re- this is not mine. I don't remember who, who said it. It might have been Billy Wilder. It might have been somebody else. But I, I've only read it one other one place and I haven't seen it since. But basically the saying is that it, it isn't the it isn't the pearls that make the necklace. It's the string. Mm. And uh, that's a perfect way to think about an armature, right? That the armature is the string. 
right? But um, a cool scene or whatever, that's those are just pearls, and they may not go together. They may yeah. not make a necklace. So most people are trying to just make enough cool things that they think the thing will work because it's enough cool things. Yeah. But, um, you know, some of the coolest things in the world are the things that grow out of the story. Yeah. They don't exist on their own. I, I heard a director of, um, of, uh, he's a successful director, but I don't happen to like his work, but uh-huh. <laughs> I won't say who it is, yeah. but, um, uh, like a lot of us, uh, very influenced by Jaws. And he was going on and on about uh, the line, uh, you, you know, you're going to need a bigger boat in Jaws. Um, and how, what a good line it was. What a good line. But that line doesn't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. It's not a good line anywhere, right? Yeah. Right. Like if you said that in Shawshank Redemption, you'd be like, what? What's, what's, what's that have to do with anything? <laughs> right. It's not, it doesn't exist by itself. Yeah. Right. And it comes out of the character who's afraid of the water. It comes out of the most scared character. Right. He's just a human being going, we got to get a bigger boat. We can't be out here in this little thing. Right. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. It, it's good because it's human. It's good because it's, it expresses his fear. Yeah. Right. Um, it's, they don't make characters like that anymore characters are too heroic i think now so they don't have any fear but the fear connects you to that character the fear make you you connect to that character because you go i don't want to be in the middle of the ocean with a shark either yeah right that's more real than the version now which is let's go get it yeah you know and that's where you get the that's why i mean I, i'm trying to think of a better scene than the scene where they're in the boat and he starts talking about the indianapolis yeah you can see where he's coming from. Right. It's totally motivated. Right. The way they set that up, mm-hmm. when only two people in the room knew what that was. Wait, right. you were on the, you were on the. Yeah. And then, you know, he's like, oh, what, why? What was that? <laughs> right. And everybody's just looking at him, you know, and you just go like, that scene, it's motivated. It had to happen. Right. We had to understand where this guy came from. Right. What he was about. And you're right. Like, there was hatred there. Right. You know, and wh- how was that motivated? How do you write that stuff, any of that stuff you're talking about without knowing what you're trying to say? Right. You know? Or, well, I guess, what what would you say the armature of Jaws is? I would say uh, to face your fears, to conquer your fear. What What do you base that off of? I base it on the fact that the character starts off hating the water. Hmm. And his very last line is, you know, I used to hate the water? As he's swimming along in the in the middle of the ocean. Right? That's what I base it on. That's what it tells me. And that last line proves that in order to face your fears, you have to, you know, you know right, conquer, your, conquer your fears, you have to face, face them. Yeah. Because it, uh, we, Brody, we find out really early, right? How yeah. much he hates the water. Yeah. Even when he's on that little fairy thing, he's gripping the, <laughs> right, you know, right. his hands yeah, on the thing. Yeah. And then at the end, he's paddling through the water and he says, yeah, whatever, what line was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I used to hate the water. He doesn't eat. I mean. But how could you write that line? Yeah. Without first going, here's what I'm trying to say. Right. Yeah, you couldn't. And the funny thing about that and that line, or even the, the when you go to the pearl thing, there's nothing fancy about the string. Everybody looks at the pearls like, God, that's a beautiful day. You know, that's really fancy. I bet that yeah. was expensive, whatever. The little thing holding it together, it's, I mean, that's probably, I'm assuming that's why you call your book Invisible Ink. Right. That's why. It's like people look at Yoda, but they don't see the little skeleton inside. Right. But the skeleton is Yoda. Right, right, right. Yeah. So if you don't have the skeleton, what do you have? You don't have anything. You have a jellyfish, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. You don't have anything. It doesn't have shape. Um, you know, 
um, a lot of the times when people make, you see this with short films a lot. Short films, usually they have one gag, right? And, uh, and they got to draw it out for five minutes. Or they are a piece of a bigger thing. Like if I'd had more time, I only had five minutes and, you know, but if I got the money, I, right? They don't know. So what happens is they just sort of end often. They often don't end soon enough, but they end. Yeah. And it's not, um, um, it didn't go anywhere. It has no shape. So it, it, it feels like it was cut off because it doesn't have a shape. Um, and we all understand that shape. We all understand, like, when you're watching a film and you think, oh, it's over, and it goes on for 20 more minutes, yeah, that's poorly structured, right? Because everything told you this is ending now. Yeah. Right? Everything about it told you it was yeah. ending. The shark's dead. Right. Right. How much longer do you want to do this? Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. We don't have to watch them swim home. Yeah. Right? Right. So that's, um, so you, everybody feels the shape. They understand it. Um, when people say something's too long, there's no such thing as too long. That's not a thing. Yeah. The, some of the longest films I've ever seen are short films. But it's because once people have all the information they need, they're done watching. Yeah right yeah they're okay, done you proved it he overcame his fear yeah why are we going to a barbecue right right so but you have false endings aliens has a great false ending right mm. where it seems like it's all over now right but the the bigger thing is not resolved that's another one where the armature is to face your fear mm -hmm. is to conquer your fear yeah right ripley's afraid of the aliens she conquers the aliens she's she's plagued with these dreams from the first alien movie right so yeah. for so she has these dreams she can't sleep at night um in the end she defeats the queen alien and the you know and she's about to put the little girl into hypersleep for the long space journey and the little girl says can i dream and ripley says yeah i think we both can mm. because now she can yeah right you can't write that line yeah, if you don't you know can't what write it yeah unless you know what you're saying yeah you know um why did i bring that up i know because i want to talk about aliens no I but i mean it's the same principle yeah. you can't write it without, without knowing, knowing what you're trying to yeah. say last question can but but brian i think i have two armatures i think i have some things are more important than money and i have in order to conquer your fears you have to face them why can't i have both won't that make my film twice as good <laughs> <laughs> uh no because how do you, how do you, you know what? It makes too much noise and I'll, I'll explain what I mean. So, so Ben Burt, the sound designer who mm. I'm a huge fan of Ben Burt and I, I met him once at Pixar and I, 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 I think I scared him off <laughs> because I was like, you're the coolest guy in the world. But, <laughs> yeah. but, um, yeah. but you know, he, he did all the sound stuff for Star Wars, designed all those sounds, which are uh, the way he did it, the, the way he thinks that guy. He's amazing. E.T. Yeah. E. He did E.T. stuff, and he's Aren't they like banging on the things out the oh to do the blasters. Towers? Yeah, just crazy. everything. How'd you think of that? I know yeah. that guy. Anyway, so I'm a huge fan of of Ben Burt, and he um, was a big fan of Treg Brown, and Treg Brown did all the Warner Brothers sound effects and huh. um, for the cartoons and and uh, on oh, the geez. movies as well. So I he's a big. I've never thought about how difficult that would have been. Yeah, so he did all that stuff, Treg Brown. So he's a big Treg Brown fan, and Treg Brown did the sounds. I believe it was Treg Brown who did the sounds in the Robin Hood, the Errol Flynn Robin Hood, huh. and there's arrows in that thing, and 
uh, Ben Burt liked the sound of the arrows in that movie. And when he did Raiders of the Lost Ark, he wanted that sound for the arrows. And so, um, so he didn't know how it was done. And so he, he was making all these arrows and having all these arrows made to, to try to record them through the air. And what he discovered was if an arrow is made well, it doesn't make any noise, <laughs> right? Because it's designed to cut through the air with no yeah, friction, right. right? And um, it's when it has extra stuff on it that it makes noise, right? And and I think that what you're trying to do is your armature is this arrow that has no fat on it. You don't want any noise, right? You don't want the friction. And I think if you have extra stuff, you have friction. Mm-hmm. and And it makes a lot of noise and it's bumpy and it's like, well, what is that about? Is that scene about? Are you trying to? Then now you get people in their heads and they're not watching your piece anymore. Yeah. Right. They're not in their hearts. They're not in their guts. They're in their head trying to figure out what you're trying to say. Yeah. It's yeah. a mental exercise. Yeah. So I. Yeah. So you have to make a clean arrow that doesn't make any noise. That makes sense. Yeah, it does to me. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. Yeah. Sure. Thanks for watching. You are a storyteller. If you have any questions or there's a storytelling topic you want us to cover, leave a comment below or email us at hello at believeagency.com. <laughs>